0: We've been going through a study in 2 Peter chapter 1 looking at character traits, character attributes. You want to do what with? What did Peter say? Add Add to your what? Faith. We looked at the first one, which was what? Virtue. Virtue. And what is virtue? Oversimplified. Simple definition. Moral. Moral Moral strength. Doing the right thing out of a right heart attitude. Which again... Satan being a great counterfeiter, and he works alongside of our flesh to try to get us to think that because we do the right thing, but because it's convenient to, or because we do the right thing, because we have to, or because we do the right thing, because of our reputation's sake, he'll convince us that that's virtue. You can do the right thing, but with the wrong motives, and it's not virtuous. But we were to add that to our faith, and then out of that virtue, out of that desire to have that strength and bravery to do the right thing, what do we then add to our faith after that? Knowledge. knowledge. And is it talking about head knowledge? No. Talking about taking our walk with Christ deeper, knowing Jesus and knowing the Word on a deeper, more personal level. We spent the last couple of weeks looking at practically how you can do that And that brings us to this week. As I had mentioned before, each and every single one of these verses, what's unique about this list, this character trait list, is that the next one we study flows perfectly out of the one we just studied. In other words, you can't have the next character trait if you're not already adding the previous one to your faith. That's why he says, Add to your faith virtue. And to virtue add knowledge. And to knowledge, temperance. Temperance. What is that? Look at your outline. Title of today's message is called Battle Fatigue. Follow along with me as we go through the intro. We know that no man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life. It's right there in 2 Timothy, right after talking about discipleship. This is a spiritual battle we fight in. But Sometimes soldiers get so worn out from the day-to-day spiritual battle that they begin to lose a grip on their impulses. Do you feel that throughout the course of the week? Do you feel that by the time we even get to Wednesday when Monday and Tuesday are just whipping your tail? I do. These soldiers in the Lord's army, they begin to experience what's called battle fatigue. Battle fatigue was a phrase that showed up around roughly the World War I era. And then by the time you get to World War II and the Vietnam War, it started to take on a different form, different terminology called shell shock. Today it goes by a different name. Anybody know what that term is? Ethan? PTSD, PTSD which stands for? Post-traumatic stress, disorder. Post-traumatic stress disorder. Now, again, that's because we've had more time to study it. We can actually look at the ins and outs of it from a psychological standpoint. But, man, all the way going back to World War I era, they just called it simply battle fatigue. The soldier was getting so worn out by the constant fighting that they started to lose their grip on reality. They started to lose a grip on keeping their mind sound. Happens in warfare. And if we're in this spiritual fight, and if we're being honest, it can happen to us. Some of you, maybe as we look at this, you'll find, holy cow, that's me. I've been completely shell-shocked. I'm not really in the fight anymore. I've completely lost control. Back on your your intro. As we continue to give all diligence in the battle to add to our faith, we are reminded this week of our need for self-control. There's a lot of self terminologies, a lot of self words that begin with self that are absolutely negative and they're all pride focused, they're all me focused. Self determination, self confidence, self motivation, and again, they're all me, me, me. This is one, especially when you look at it through the lens of the Bible, that is actually biblical. This is one that if you want to pertain, if you want to have and possess a self term, this is one of them self control. You see, this topic reminds us that doing what's right and growing closer to Jesus is going to bring about opposition. Opposition, mostly from ourselves. This message serves as a personal warning to be on guard against our greatest enemy. What does Proverbs 4.23 say? Anyone? Keep thy heart with what? That's funny. Where have I heard diligence before? And with all diligence, add to your faith. Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. Can I get a reader for Jeremiah 17, 9 and 10? Sam.
1: The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked who can know it. I, the Lord, search the heart. I try the reins, even to give every man according to his ways and according to the fruit
0: of his doings. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Boy, I got to tell you, this whole mantra that's going on, it's been going on for a while, but especially in this day and age, this whole idea of follow your heart. Well, the heart wants what the heart wants. This whole idea of your heart will lead the way, trust your heart. It'll lead you in the path that you should go. It is an absolute farce. Because according to this verse, when you take what the world says and line it up with what the Bible says, your heart is the most wicked and desperately evil thing that you can follow. It will lead you down a course and down a path to a quite literal living hell if you do that, if you follow it. Proverbs says, He that trusteth in his heart is a fool. We, ourselves, our emotions, our will, our mind, man, I'll tell you what, that right there is our greatest day-to-day enemy. It starts in the mind. And so you see, God is telling us here that when you're doing the right thing, virtue, virtue, And when you're adding to your faith, taking your knowledge of the Lord and taking your knowledge of the word of God to a deeper, more personal level, you better gear up. You better armor up because opposition's coming. That's why he tells us in point number one, add to knowledge or and to knowledge, add temperance. So quick definitions. Who's got their phones out? Who has a phone nearby? Someone look up in Blue Letter Bible, what is the definition of temperance? Just go to 2 Peter 1.6. If you've been with us the last couple of weeks, as we've been looking at how you can practically add knowledge, how you can study out practically without the 15 rules of Bible study. Just taking common, simple definitions and seeing what God does with that. Someone look up the definition of that, of temperance. And then someone also on their phone, look up in Webster's 18.28, the definition of temperance there who's got the strongs and who's got webster's all right who said they had strongs was that hannah yeah. okay perfect let me know when you're there are you there right now all right so sam's got webster's drop down to letter b on your outline there webster's definition if you got a pen write these down go ahead sam
1: Moderation, particularly habitual moderation in regard to the indulgence of the natural appetites and passions. Do you want me to read the whole paragraph? No, that
0: was good. Moderation. In other words, it's, it's restraining from indulgences, not giving in and eating your entire Easter basket. Maybe that's something you guys can use as an analogy for kids. Don't think it necessarily applies to senior hires, unless you guys are still getting Easter baskets, which would be a little weird. No judgment here. No judgment here. In restraining, holding back from. What? We're still
1: under 18. <laughs> I think everybody does. Hello. All right. I still get distracted
0: right in Whatever. I just go out and buy a whole lot of candy. <laughs> that, is no, that is true. All right. I guess uh, I'm the lone man here. No, I also Wrong analogy, Corey. I've never done it. <laughs> All right, let's move on back to letter A. Hannah, do you have the definition from Strong's on a, on that? Okay, let's hear it. Self control. Self control. Uh, Do me a favor. You see where it says self-control there? And then it says, like, I think before that it says from, and then there's like a G and then a number there. Nope. (laughs) <laughs> I, I you do? do you see that number? it says from G14 click on G14 uh, sorry I cut you off, whatever that number was, click on that Yeah. so in other words, and this is something that I mentioned too a lot of these words, they come from other words, I mean same thing with English you have like a root word in an English and it leads to something else same thing with this, so what this is saying is that temperance comes from another type of a word and what does it say there? strong in a thing, masterful i.e. self-control Strong in a thing, masterful. Masterful. That is the definition of it. So for letter A, for Strong's definition, you can put down self-control. Or one who masters his desires and appetites. You master it. You are in control of it. You are not out of control. And Webster's, again, very similar, moderation, restraining from. So this whole idea in Strong's with self-control, one who masters his desires and appetites. You know, yes, obviously, and, and I think, Sam, you probably even saw, and this is why I had you stop, because he does go into specific examples as far as, you know, food and drink. And so he is talking about, you know, maybe physical appetites. But there's a lot of other different types of appetites. There are some people that just have an appetite for destruction. They're just addicted to chaos. They're just addicted to people that are always going to continue to bring them down, and their life is just a continuing cycle of just chaos and destruction. They have an appetite for it. They have a hunger for it. Other people, it's sexual appetites. And you also have other appetites for just getting into all sorts of different kinds of trouble. That's what that's talking about there. Not just food and drink, but it goes beyond that. Things that control you, an appetite for drugs, appetite for alcohol, you name it. Anything that can become addictive. Self-control. Uh, write down Galatians 5.23. Anybody know the significance of that verse as it pertains to temperance? Fruit of the it's part of the fruit of the Spirit. Mm-hmm. There are nine attributes that are found in Galatians 5 that is part of the fruit, singular, of the Spirit. Now, some people, they'll often say it's the fruits of the Spirit. That's not what Galatians says. It's called the fruit of the Spirit. Why? Because when you're genuinely saved, all nine of those attributes, they are evidence of your salvation. They are evidence that you belong to Christ. So, if you're in here today, you've called upon Christ as your Savior, and you are a new creature in Christ, you have all nine of those attributes. It's just a matter of how much are you strengthening that muscle? How much are you developing that? Each of those character traits. So we all have temperance to some degree. Restraining from doing what we want to. Restraining from doing what our flesh craves. We all have it to some degree. But just how much? Something to consider. Something else also. Uh, Sam, go ahead and turn over. Everybody turn over to 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. Sam, you go to 2 Timothy chapter 3. If you want to write down... Also, this word temperance, it's linked with the word continence. You know what continence means? It means to hold or to withhold. Did I say 1 Thessalonians chapter 3? Yeah. Good. Continence means to hold or withhold. And again, just think about it in the light of the way that we've defined these words already. In other words, you have a hold on what things your flesh is drawn to. You are withholding it back. You're keeping back your desire, your carnal fleshly desire to just give in, to be battle fatigued and just give in to whatever your heart desires. You're holding it back, in other words. Think about a dog on a leash. Think about a Rottweiler or a pit bull that you have on a leash. That dog wants to go and it wants to chase after and get and bite everything in its path. You have it on a leash and you're you're yanking it back. You provide no slack to it. You're holding. You're withholding it. Now, in light of that, what continence means, Sam, 2 Timothy 3, read verse 1 and then jump to verse 3. Let
1: us know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. Without natural affection, truth breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce despisers of those that are good.
0: So in Paul's last letter to Timothy, before he loses his head, the second to last chapter of this man's life, he says to Timothy, hey, in the last days, right before the Lord Jesus Christ comes back, this is what the last days are going to be like. This is what people are going to be like. And one of the things he says is that they will be incontinent in other words, to, if to, to be continent, if that is to hold back, to withhold, incontinent is just to drop the leash and let the dog run free. That's what Paul describes people in the church for the last days. Think about that. And that's why in point number two, Nothing will sanctify us or set us apart more in this age than possessing temperance, holding, withholding, controlling, possessing. Nothing will sanctify us more. Nothing will set us apart because we're living in a day and an age where people don't care about those things. Where you're considered judgmental if you tell people, hey, you should not be involved in that sin. You're letting that sin get a hold of you rather than you getting a hold of it. And the church just stopped telling people that. If only they'd read First Thessalonians. Alright, I need a reader for verses 11 to 13. First Thessalonians chapter 3. Carson. Now God himself and our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ direct our way unto you. And the Lord make you make you to increase and abound in love one toward another and toward all men, even as we do toward you. To the end, he may establish your hearts unblameable in holiness before God, even our Father, at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. I love it. He ends this chapter by talking basically what we're going over in Second Peter. Hey, Thessalonians. Add to your faith you guys need to be increasing and abounding in the love of the Lord Jesus Christ in other words it never comes to a point when you finish discipleship and you've arrived it never comes to a point where you've learned and known everything there is to know about the Bible no you need to keep adding to your faith you need to keep increasing and you need to abound in those things Always seeking for those opportunities to either disciple someone or to to sign up for whatever ministries we have going on here, VBS missions trips, always doing those things. In other words, point number one, we need to be growing in our faith so that we're blameless at His coming. Did you see that at the end of verse 13? To the end He may establish your hearts unblameable in what? Holiness. Holiness before God. It's just another stirring reminder for us that we all have our day before the Lord one day. It's going to be happening very, very soon where we're going to give an account for what we did in our Christian service before Him. We better occupy till He comes. We better be taking possession of the land, possession of this land, first and foremost. This is our Jericho, this is our AI our hearts, our mind, the soul. we got to take possession of it because he wants to establish us unblameable in holiness before God. Now, why did we look at those three verses? Well, because if you look at chapter 4, verse 1, he starts that verse off by saying, Furthermore, which means that everything he's about to say connects with what he just spoke on in chapter 3. Let's see what he says in verses 1 to 4. Furthermore then, we beseech you, brethren, we beg you and exhort you, we're encouraging you. Yeah, I know what I'm about to say is going to be heavy, but man, be encouraged because there's hope. That as ye have received of us how ye ought to walk and to please God, so ye would abound more and more. Put that verse in your own words. What is he saying here? You've seen from us how ye ought to walk. Sum that up in one word. Testimony. Testimony, That could be a good one. But even more specifically, the Thessalonians learned from Paul and his men how they ought to behave. Discipleship. Discipleship. That's what they need to continue to abound in. And they need to abound more and more in it. Verse 2. For ye know what commandments we gave you by the Lord Jesus. Verse 3. Here's one of the commandments. For this... Is the will of God, even your sanctification being set apart, that ye should abstain from what? Everyone. Fornication. I don't think I heard everyone. Everyone. Fornication. fornication. Anybody still have their phone out? Yeah. Get a blue letter Bible. Look up fornication. We just search it. Well, no, no. Go to this verse. And then look at the strongs of it, and I'm going to tell you specifically what to look at here in a moment. On your outline, furthermore, which again, it connects back to the idea, it connects back to what he just talked about in 1 Thessalonians 3, that we're all going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ to give an account of our service to him. Not our sin, our service. How set apart we were for him. And God wants to present us, just as Paul said in 2 Corinthians eleven two. he wants to present the church blameless and holy, pure, not defiled by the world and our flesh. He wants to present us as pure. Furthermore, point number two, it is God's will for us and crucial our sanctification that we abstain from fornication. And here's the thing. Don't think you have an out from this passage just because you didn't do the deed. Getting somewhere with that in just a little bit, but we're going to see it here in this passage. Look at verses 5 and 6. Or sorry, we didn't read verse 4. What is the will of God? He says in verse 4 that every one of you should know how to, what's that word? Possess Possess his vessel, control, temper, in sanctification and honor. Hey, you want to know what the will of God is for your life? You want to be able to anoint your eyes so that you can see where God is leading you and what His will and His plan is for your life? Here's one of them, He just said it by name. This is the will of God, even your sanctification, that you abstain from fornication. That every one of you should know how to possess His vessel, His vessel, take control, hold it, grab the leash and yank it back. Get no slack on it. verse 5, he says, Not in the lust of concupiscence. Holy cow, another word to define. Get your pens. Concupiscence means a longing for what is forbidden. A longing for what is forbidden. We all know what fornication is. It's anything that's sexual outside of marriage. But concupiscence now is going a little bit further than just the deed. It's going into the longing for that which is forbidden. He says you want to be sanctified. You want to be set apart. You don't want to be consumed in the lust of concupiscence, even as the Gentiles which know not God. Mark that down too. He says that it is a trait of people who do not know the Lord Jesus Christ for them to be completely consumed with concupiscence. For them to be completely consumed by their lust. We ought not to be like that. We ought, not, not, ought to not name it once amongst any of us, Ephesians says. Verse 6, that no man go beyond and defraud his brother in any matter. So again, it's not just the idea, oh, well, I've never had sex outside of marriage. I've never done anything sexual with somebody else outside of marriage. He says concupiscence, which is a longing for that which is forbidden. And now in point number three, he says that no man goes beyond, you could say intemperate, defrauding his brother or sister in any matter any matter you know what the word defraud means there in the scriptures it means to covet after to lust after you're defrauding your brother or sister when you long for something that is not biblical with them when you are lusting after it's defrauding and he says in any matter and again for those of you who go to the mall witness you're very familiar with Matthew 5.48 some of you, many of you, you use it in your witnessing what does that say? If any man looketh upon a woman to lust after her he's committed what adultery in his heart it's not just the deed it's the motive it's the longing it's the heart wants what the heart wants it's following your heart it's dropping the leash and letting any kind of vain imagination fly whether it be vain imagination, whether it be pornography, whether it be masturbation, whether it be concupiscence, anything. Oh, by the way, Happy Easter. <laughs> it, was the, it was next in the study. Didn't plan on this. Speaking of which, Carson, yeah. is the only time, I, well, I don't want to say the only time. It's the only time, probably, that I will actually ask you, can you tell me, what is the Greek? Pornia. Say it again. Pornia. P-O-R-M-I-E-I-A The Greek word for fornication. Now again, our Bible is preserved in English. God has put it that way so that we can read in English and know what it is He has to say. Very, very rarely when you look at a Greek word will it help you to, to add to what God has already put in English. But boy, I'll tell you what. That kind of stands out. The Greek word for fornication, porneia. Hmm. Porneia, porneia. You get the point, don't you? (laughs) That no man goes beyond and defrauds in any matter. So yeah, fornication. I'm hoping that no one in here has gone through that. But let me just tell you, if you have, there's still hope. God's not done with you yet. And you have plenty of people in here that you could talk with. But man, I think when it comes to the other things, I think that hits a vast majority of us, whether it be, again, in deed, or even just in thoughts, or a longing for that which is forbidden. This is all about the will of God. God so that he may present us holy and without blame at the judgment seat of Christ so that we don't lose rewards so that we don't lose crowns that we have gained up and stored up for him but now it's been turned into wood, hay and stubble because of our impure motives for doing things that's the will of God for us that's what Paul wanted to do what he wanted so bad for Thessalonica and the Thessalonians were a solid church they were a rock-solid church. He was just letting them know, Hey, guys, we covered this in discipleship. Be careful. Be careful. Yank that leash back and don't let that dog go. Keep him back. You see in point number four, we just saw in verses, actually, no, we didn't. Read verse 7 and 8 with me. For God hath not called us unto uncleanness, but unto what? He says it again. Holiness. He therefore that despiseth, despiseth not man, but who? God. As a reminder, in Psalm 51 4, all sin, all sin is against who? So check your thoughts. It's not just against your sister or brother in Christ, it's against him. Or it's not just against a complete stranger, it's against him. See, in point number four, to choose to be unclean rather than holy is to despise, despise God and all that he's given us. Oh. Ephesians 4.19. Again, this is what the Gentiles like. This is, this is a verse that describes lost people. That they are so caught up in their sin that they get to the point where they are past feeling. Being past feeling have given themselves unto lasciviousness. That means strong evil desires It's the same thing with concupiscence. To work all uncleanness with greediness. Can I get someone to turn over to First Peter chapter one? Sam, First Peter chapter one. The rest of us turn over to Romans thirteen. No, I wanted that. Just the Greek word. Yeah, because again, it's one of those rare words where you're like, "Oh, that stands out." Thank you, Carson. Romans chapter 12. Again, the day-to-day spiritual battle, sometimes you get fatigued. And when you get fatigued, when you get battle fatigued, you start to lose your grip on that leash. And it becomes very easy just to let the chain go and to let the dog have his way. We can't. We can't. God's done so much for us. Sam, go ahead and read 1 Peter 1.
1: But as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation, because it's written, Be ye holy, for I am holy.
0: Be ye holy, for I am holy. That's what he's given us. He's given us his Holy Spirit, and he's given us his holy word to speak to us, to make us holy and clean and pure, so that we stand out in this world. There was a—I won't get into the details. Of it. Well, I don't know. Maybe. We'll see. How, I didn't have this in my notes, so the Lord obviously wants me to say it. But I remember senior year, there was a kid I didn't particularly like, which just because he was just a goofball and, and was always getting in trouble. But I didn't—whenever I talked to them, I was always very, very cordial with them, was always very nice, and tried witnessing to him. But, you know, again, I carried my Bible around with me every single day to school. People knew who I was, got into conversations with people. Uh, One day in class, I remember a kid from the football team told me that this other person, the one I didn't like, he started spreading this rumor about me on the football team that was of kind of the nature that we were looking at here with me and some other girls. And I got so heated, I was about ready just to go find the kid and lay him out. And then the kid on the football team, he stopped me, he's like, no, no, dude, dude, we know you. We know that you would never do anything like that because we know where you stand when it comes to these things and your belief about waiting till marriage. And it's like, so we were all laughing at him and telling him he was stupid for saying that. Do you stand out? Are you set apart in your schools to Whereas, if something like that happened to you where a false rumor, a false accusation was lobbied your way, do people know enough about you to know, no, that's not them. There's no way they would let themselves be tainted with the the world like that or with the flesh like that. Are you set apart? Are you sanctified? Are you holy? And do people see that? So, lust, concupiscence, possessing, temperance, possessing your vessel. Then we find letter B. That temperance is linked with being sober. Very, very interesting. Interesting. In fact, in history, there was something called the temperance movement, and it was all about trying to get people to stop drinking alcohol. It was at the turn of the century, late 1800s, early 1900s, to try to stop people get to, from getting drunk and just drinking altogether. But sober has a variety of different meanings. You see, sober, it means to be regular and calm. It means to... Uh, Sorry, I just lost my spot. It means to not be under the influence of passion. When that knucklehead shared that rumor and I heard it, I almost was under the influence of my passion where I wanted to go and lay him out. Under the influence of passion, as in having sober judgment. In other words, sobriety or sober, it's not just about not partaking in alcohol. It has to do with tempering or controlling your emotions. Possessing your vessel of your heart and the emotions that come forth from that heart, not letting your emotions take a hold of you, but you holding back the leash on them as well. So Soberness, sobriety, it's linked with temperance in the Bible. We're in Romans chapter 13. Follow along with me in verse 12. Actually, verse 11. And that knowing the time, that now it is high time to awake out of sleep, for now is our salvation nearer than we believe. He's talking about Christ coming back here the salvation or the redemption of our physical body, where we get the purchased possession, we get our new body in Christ. That's the salvation he's talking about there. Time's short. Verse 12, the night is far spent, the day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of what? Light. Let us walk honestly as in the day, not in rioting and what? Drunkenness. Not being sober. Not in chambering and wantonness. That's having a frivolous party lifestyle. And you know what's interesting? Chambering, I mean, we can kind of know what that means, but it was kind of neat. I looked up the definition for that last night. It's not just talking about sex before marriage. It's talking about the definition that's there is cohabitation. Oh, it's okay for me to live with this person before marriage because I intend to live with them. No. Right here, he's calling that out. Not in strife and envying, but put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ and make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the what? Lusts thereof. He's talking about being sober. But he's also talking about being temperance, possessing your vessel from both sexual appetites, alcohol and emotions. Not letting the emotions rain your heart when that is where Christ is supposed to sit, rule, and reign, and lead from. He is supposed to have the reins. He is supposed to take control. So what does that mean? Well, number one, it means we need to be sober-minded to think appropriately. Uh, turn back over. We're in Romans 13. Look at chapter 12. Sam, are you still in First Peter 1? Get ready to read 13 and 14 here in a little bit. Can I get a reader to read verse 3? Romans 12, 3. Kendall.
1: For I say, in the grace given unto me, to every man that is among you, not to think himself more highly than he ought to think, but to
0: think soberly, according as God hath dealt every man the measure of faith. To think soberly. Not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. Man, I'll tell you what. When it comes to that, if we have a high opinion of ourselves, when we think very, very highly of, you know, whether it's our testimony or we think, man, I am so glad I'm not like all those people that are out there doing all those things. Remember, that's kind of very pharisaical. That's something that the Pharisees do. They like to point and say, oh, I'm glad I'm not like that person. They got three fingers pointing back at them. When we think highly of ourselves, it's people like that that tend to get easily offended When they do mess up, and then they're not thinking soberly. If you happen to say something or let something slip, or maybe you do something in a group activity, maybe it's a a filthy joke, or maybe it's laughing, or maybe it's, I don't know, something that isn't necessarily end of the world, but maybe we let our testimony, we let our guard down a little bit. You think too highly of ourself, you will allow your emotions to take over and you will overcompensate and it'll actually do more damage to your testimony than good. I've seen it happen and to a certain degree, I can be like that where I will try to overcompensate to try to make up for my shortcomings because I had a high opinion of myself. And you see, when you do that, when you realize you mistake, or you made a mistake. When you realize you screwed up, that's when you start getting almost into a religious mindset of like, okay, I gotta make up for it. I gotta, I gotta do more to try to make up for that. No, you know what you do it is a, one of my favorite songs, where the lyric goes, "I take my knees down to the ground, then I hear that wanted sound of your voices that surrounds me, calling me to get up now." If you screw up, you make a mistake, you ruin your testimony. Get right with the Lord and then get back up and go. Don't dwell on it. When we think highly of ourselves and we screw up, that's when we tend to let our emotions take over and it'll keep us down. Our emotions will take over and will keep us defeated and keep us thinking that we are of no good. No. Make it right with God, and then get back up if you need to. Make it right with that person that you lost your testimony with. Don't dwell. Don't dwell in the mire and the muck of your emotions, because they'll just take control. Get a hold of your emotions. Be sober-minded to think appropriately. Sam, verses 13 and 14.
1: Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lusts in your ignorance.
0: Yeah, those two verses happen right before the two verses Sam just read earlier about be ye holy for I am holy. They're linked together. Alright, everybody turn over to Psalm 26. I need someone to go over to Jeremiah 20, verse 12. Carson, and I need someone else to go over to James chapter 3, verse 2. Elliot, everybody else, Psalm 26. Sober minded to think appropriately, control over your thoughts, control over your emotions. Uh, Psalm 26, look at verse 2. David is saying, Examine me, O Lord, and prove me. Try my reins and my hearts. You know another name for reins? It's a leash. The reins, it's something you have on a horse to guide and steer that horse to cause it to stop and hold the horse back or to tell it to go forward. There's boundaries. And if you go out of bounds, whoever's in charge of that, those reins will help get you back in. If it's the Spirit of God, in Colossians, I believe it's chapter 2, says let the peace of God rule in you. That word rule there it means to be like a referee to tell you you're out of bounds get back in up foul okay go ahead who's in charge who's in charge of the reins is it is it Christ or are you letting your emotions take the way try me examine me prove me Lord you see being passionate or having emotions are not bad It's just when you choose to let those things rule and reign instead of Christ, that's when you become intemperate because you're not in control. You aren't in control of that which you, that Christ is allowing you to control, those emotions, those thoughts that come into your mind. Flip over to Psalm 139. Again, David was all familiar with this and he's giving us the prescription of how we can deal with that. Rather than waiting for something to go wrong, rather than waiting for something bad to happen where we we lose our testimony and we have to make it right, instead we just need to do inventory. And that's what David's doing here. Look at verse 23 and 24. Try this. Do this every now and then. Do it today. Today Today's a great day to do that. David prayed Search me, O God. Know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me into the way everlasting. Lord, is there anywhere where I'm not allowing you to take the rein? Is there anywhere where I am just freely dropping the leash and letting my emotions lead? Letting my feelings lead instead of faith? Ask him that. But you see what he says there? He doesn't just say, oh, Lord, let me know. No, he says, search me, O God, which means he might ask you to be doing some searching of yourselves, too. He says, know me, know my heart, meaning there might be something that you're not wanting to give over to God. You're not wanting him to see. And try me, Lord, maybe I need to put it to the fire. Maybe I need to lay it down on the altar and sacrifice this. Oh, but death is painful. Sacrifice hurts. But God, I need to know. I need to know if I'm in control or if you are. Know my thoughts. So sober-minded to think appropriately. Number two, sober-sighted to see God work and the enemy counter. First Thessalonians 5 says that children of the light, therefore, we are children of the light, so therefore let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch and be sober. Very similar to 1 Peter 4, 7. Whoops. But the end of all things is at hand. Be ye therefore sober in what. Watch unto prayer, and in the very next chapter: be sober, be vigilant. These are your eyes. Be looking. Why? Because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about, seeking whom he may devour. If you're letting your emotions guide you, if you're letting your lust or your flesh guide you and lead you, you are not going to see the enemy strike, because he's already in control and we're going to stop dead in our tracks of adding to our faith, and we're not going to see where God's leading. Alright, Jeremiah 20, 12. Is that you, Carson? Yeah. Read it out loud. But
1: O oh, the Lord of hosts, who, that tried the righteousness and seeth the reins in the heart, let me see thy vengeance upon them, for unto thee have I opened my cause.
0: Sober-sighted to see God work and the enemy counter. If somebody has wronged you, you can't control that. You can, however, control your reaction there too. You can go off and deck them and lay them out in front of everybody and it feels so good. But, Jeremiah decided to then just switch and say, no, you know what? Vengeance is of you, Lord. So please, take your vengeance on them. And if that means that they die to self and get saved, amen. But Lord, I'm going to let you take control. I'm going to let you be in charge of this because I don't want to take matters into my own hands because that's dangerous business. You're getting out of bounds. You're going beyond and defrauding your brother or sister in any matter. And lastly, sober-tongued to speak things for the gospel's sake. Acts 26, 25 talks about being sober and speaking things uh, pertaining to the gospel. 2 Corinthians also, whether we be beside ourselves, it is to God. Or whether we be sober, it is for your cause, other people's sake. We want to keep in control of all of our senses, our emotions for other people so that we're not a castaway when we preach to them. That's what 2 Timothy talks about. 1 Corinthians 9 talks about. And then uh, cross out Proverbs 17, 3 and put Psalm seventeen three. It's kind of funny because Proverbs 73 does have to deal with the heart. But Psalm 17.3 says, Thou hast proved mine heart. Thou hast visited me in the night. Thou hast tried me and shalt find nothing. Because Christ has the reins of the vessel. He's in control of the emotions. And therefore, look what he says at the end. I am purposed that my mouth shall not transgress. If God is in the reins and in the driver's seat of your emotions, of your vessel, you'll be speaking things that you ought to speak to the people that need to hear it. And you won't be speaking the things that you shouldn't be speaking. And then James
1: 3.2. For many things we offend all. If any man offend not in word, the same is a perfect man, mm-hmm. and able also to bridle the whole body.
0: If any man offend not in word... He's a perfect or mature man. It is a sign of maturity if you can possess and temper your mouth to somebody, especially if they wrong you. But he says that man, he's able to bridle the whole body. Again, it's talking about like a bit that you put in horses' mouths to steer them. We're going to go this way, and the horse follows. We're going to stay back, and the horse stops. That's what we need to be. We need to bridle and put a bit in our mouth. We need to have control and possess our vessel. We need to hold it back. Keep the leash taut. Don't give any slack. And certainly don't drop it and lose your mind. You know what's interesting? We're going to look at uh, this in a more practical stance next week. An example in Scripture that, man, really hits all of these areas. But as I was thinking, you know, letter A... That's always kind of historically been a guy's struggle. Lust, concupiscence, lasciviousness. But I remember going through discipleship in the senior high, and Pastor Jay telling me, he's like, be surprised how many girls are struggling with this, too. And that was goodness, almost 20 years ago. And let her be. Talking about being sober specifically with emotions and giving into emotions and letting them drive instead of your faith, that's always kind of historically been something that girls have struggled with. But man, times have changed. And I see just as many guys in today's day and age struggling with that as they do their lust and giving into their emotions. And so really, yeah, historically, letter A for the guys, letter B for the girls, but man... I'm sure letters A and B is hitting all of us to some degree one way or another, as it did me just this past week looking at it and studying it over. So whatever the case may be, if you are one that is prone to give in to your emotions, or if you're one that you cannot possess your physical vessel and what you look at or what you allow into your head or your ears or your eyes, whatever the case is, then get business done with God today. Make it right. Take your knees down to the ground and then hear that wanted sound. Of Christ already saying, I forgive you. Now let's get up and let's go back to work. Amen? Let's pray.